It's a blessed privilege to stand before you again. To be together in work and worship so divine. Thank each of you for your prayers that this past week as I was at the minister's week there at SMBI and I want to acknowledge Eric for really taking on things at home and being the good help there and my wife for all that she carried the extra load that she did that uh, made it possible for me to go. It's The sobering thing about going is that I'm more responsible when I come home because I know more. I hear more, I've been challenged and, and encouraged, but different things we have, the more we know, the more responsible we are. And you can continue to pray that I can retain what the Lord would have me to benefit the most from. Uh, the way the, the setting there is more of a teaching setting rather than a sermon format, but it's eight class periods of an hour long um, for each class, and you take three. So it's 24 hours of intense information and, and uh, things, so much of a blessing to be there. And it's good to be with you. Yes, we weren't together on a Sunday morning for a good while and realize how much we miss that. I have a question to start with this morning. Do you have a calling? Now that doesn't sum up what I really want to ask, but I'm not sure how to ask. And so you think about that as we go forward and, and what... Uh, further question and answer you might need to put to that. But I've, I've thought for some time of, of a passage in Deuteronomy and some things I heard this week just in a, a bunch of different areas brought this again to the forefront in my mind. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'd like to be reading a number of verses here as a Kind of a text springboard this morning. A title could be Pass It On. Deuteronomy 6, I'd like to read verses 1 through 15. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. 
And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. He shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee, and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. The more I read over this passage, the more I realize it's here. Not just, well, it's, it's for all of us. I'd like to look at a few, I kind of broke it down into a few sections that are, are thoughts, concepts. And the first thing I would look like, like to look at or draw out from here is the caution. In that is in verse 10 and 12 through 12 especially. Um, I preached here several weeks, months ago about bondage, being delivered. And we see that referenced here that the Lord is the one that brought you out, the, the one that delivered you. And as we experience that, that deliverance from bondage, would we want to go back? And not only that, would we want our children to go back? And the warning here in verses 11, 10, 11, and then 12, it tells us that it is highly likely that we, when we are surrounded by physical prosperity that we will become spiritually poor. I don't know why it's that way so much. But it seems like it's a law. When we're surrounded with physical prosperity, we become spiritually poor. In Revelation 3, verses 17 and 18, speaking to, I believe it was the church at Laodicea, it says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. These physical blessings can blind us to our, to our condition and to what we really need to see. So there is a caution. And that is the point, I believe, of this passage is in reference to that, forgetting what we've been saved from and a call to go forward and how to combat that. A call. So we have a caution and now we have a call. In verse 6, in the first part of verse 7. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. 
The first aspect of this call is to each and every one of you. It's to hear. And along with that, verse 6 says, These things shall be in thine heart. I, I believe, I know, that it is impossible to pass along something. It's impossible to teach something well if you don't know it yourself. In school, you, you can't, if an algebra teacher failed uh, pre-algebra, he's not going to be a very good teacher. And here it says that you are to have these things in your heart. And that's going to be the, the foundation as we go forward here, that that walk with the Lord and that love for God is, is a foundation out of which the rest of this will, will spring. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. But in verse 3 it says, Hear therefore, O Israel. You know, I don't see this as just a picture to parents as we'll see it referenced specifically perhaps. But this is each of us. We are to have this these words, this, this call comes to us to have in our hearts a love for the Lord and to take seriously the message that here will follow or actually precedes this. But then the second part here of this call is verse 7. It says, And thou shalt teach them diligently. This word that is translated teach diligently is elsewhere translated almost without fail, whet or sharpen. So teach diligently unto thy children. I see a picture here of a strategic task. And not only that, it's to strategically prepare an instrument for work. Teach diligently. Sharpen your children. Prepare them for a task. This isn't just hammering on a machete to make it sharp, but it's honing it. It's getting that fine edge for a purpose. I'm going to go up a little further in this passage now to kind of the core, the content of these words, these commandments that are referenced here and what we are to teach and what we are to, to have in our hearts. Verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Would you stand together with me and we're going to say these two verses, Genesis, uh, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Let's repeat it two times. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul 
and with all thy might. Thanks, you may be seated. That seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Pretty elementary. Love the Lord with all that you have. I thought the law was a long list of regulations. It seems like it's boiled down here pretty succinctly into a basic command. Something that I was made aware of recently in in this verse 4 we often maybe go over that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord and focus more on on verse 5. But in studying that verse, how foundational it is to our view of God, we, I believe that the, the Hebrew there would bring the idea that the Lord our God is one. That He stands alone. That he is superior. Not that he is just one in essence as opposed to many gods. But he is is Lord alone. And then with that, our response is all parts of our heart and our soul, our might. Also the the phrase, and I, I wanted to research it a little bit deeper but there where it says, with all thy might, the Hebrew words there are with all thy very. It's the word that is used in creation and behold, it was very good. It doesn't have the good. It's with all thy very. And we can say, well, that's might. But I think as as they would have understood this, it left it a little bit more open-ended to that too. With all of, all of me, the very essence of who I am is to be loving the Lord. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 31. And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he, Jesus, had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And I know I've referenced this here a number of times in the last several years, three years that I've preached because it's so foundational. And if we can get this properly into our heads and into our hearts, it will change the whole way we interact with life. And I also believe it will help us have a focus that is not centered on stuff that draws us away from the Lord. A love for the Lord, a supreme love for our Lord, for our Creator. That's what we want to pass on. Next, I'd like to look at the channel, the way it is passed on. Verses 7, 8, and 9. 
of Deuteronomy 6. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and upon thy gates. We talk of Psalm 139 and where it talks about God being everywhere and we say, well, that pretty well gets it all, right? Where are we not to be teaching? How are we not to be teaching? What is left out? The picture here is of something that's very high priority and it represents an involving daily process of teaching diligently our children. It mentions here four different times or positions. It says that when we sit in our house. I see that as a, a time of formal instruction, perhaps. We're sitting around. We are attentive. We as, as parents are instructing and teaching our children things. The next aspect is walking by the way. That's where most of our time is spent, isn't it? We walk by the way. We do things. We're busy. We're involved with life. And informally, as we do our tasks, as we work, as we involved in recreation, what do we talk about? What is our goal for those times? We'll look at that a little bit more as we, as we go here. The third time that it mentions here is when thou liest down. What do you do when you lie down? What follows that? It's bedtime, isn't it? It's a good time to read a Bible story, to meditate over the day, and to talk with each other about how God was with us today. And then it says, and when thou risest up, what is your attitude that greets the day? What is the first words that come out of your mouth? Is your desire to teach your children diligently to love the Lord what's there first? As I see these, these four aspects mentioned here, it looks like an immersion of our lives and the lives of our families in, in Scripture and godly wisdom. And, and it brings, it's like, well, it's a huge task. How can we focus all our time on these things? How can we spend so much time teaching? But I believe it's not so much extra time as it is it's a focus in what we're doing while we're doing it. Because work happens whether we're going to focus, whether we're going to teach godly principles while we're doing it or not. But we can take those opportunities and be thinking how to, to say, yes, this is why we do this, teaching the, whether it's honesty, whether it's diligence, 
Um, different things that as we, as we go through that, as we go for times of recreation and walking around, well, are we pointing out the handiwork of God or are we just focused on having a good time? But I would say that the importance of setting aside a time for, for family devotions, family worship, cannot be overrated. And that was one of the sessions that I was really blessed with this week, was looking at that in a, as one of the core parts of a, of a family. You know, we, by identity, are Christians, right? We're not Muslim. We're not Buddhist. We're not Jewish. Muslims observe a daily, I believe it's five times a day, they have a call to prayer, and a devout Muslim will take that extremely seriously to come to that time and, and have that prayer and say the words that they need to. Jews observe their feasts throughout the year and have their ways of, of, of worship, if you will, of um, habits. But a daily focus in our families on God and His will is really the core of who we are and who, what we should be focusing on. And while church is very, very important, if we expect church to be the instruction in godliness for our families, we will fail. And as we love the Lord and as we want to serve Him, we don't talk a lot about tithing, we talk about giving, but in the Old Testament it was tithing, and that was 10% of your Material blessings went to the Lord's work. We take a day of the week and set it aside from work, right? The Lord's day. It's our time for worship here. What about family devotions is dedicating a few minutes of the day, each day, to the Lord's specific glory there. So I was thinking about, I'm, I'm going to go back a little bit and just, just make a comment. I was talking with someone about different sports that I play. We, we used to play and do play of volleyball, basketball, and I said, well, I always liked volleyball a lot more than basketball, and there was a really good reason for it. I was better at it. Uh, I stand here before you as someone that is not better at this than any of you. We are learning, okay? We aren't always as consistent. I have not been the best leader in this area, but I want to praise the Lord that we are working and we are seeing benefits and blessing as we implement some of these things into our, our family in a, in a more consistent way over the last period of time. And so when I heard this, was challenged even more with this thing of devotions and, and, and how critical a time of, of family drawing together is, it just it resonated as, as something we are being blessed with and I just want to encourage each of you as, as families especially. But I would also say that this isn't just a family issue of, of passing on because children are interacting with each of you. 
whether you're an aunt, an uncle, just an older person in the church, grandparent, your attitude and how you, the things you talk about, the things that you hold important will be passed on, whether it's loving the Lord or whether it's having (coughs) bigger vineyards or more wells. So as we think about this this time of of specific focused instruction and and worship, be consistent as possible. You know, we can't do everything perfect every day, but Daniel 6 brings that concept out. Daniel 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. That was something that was part of his life. It didn't matter whether he was busy. It might not have happened every day exactly the same moment, depending what the king had for him to do. But it was so part of him that he was committed to it regardless of what impact it would have on him in a negative way. And verse 11 says, these men assembled and found Daniel praying. And I would say there are times that won't work out. Schedules conflict, but let that be the exception and not the rule. And there's times when we, I don't know, it seems like I find more and more that life left to itself will atrophy. And when you grow lax, when you realize, oh, we have not done what we should have been doing, we have been focusing on other things, don't give up. Just just renew your desire, your, your commitment to try again. This is a dear thing to the heart of God. These times of working to pass on a love for the Lord. Deuteronomy 4 verse 9 says, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently. Here again, that's to each adult. Lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen and lest they depart depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. What do we do in this time of of family devotions? Number one is you have small children. It's a great time to teach them how to sit, how to sit still, how to be attentive. And as they grow, keep them engaged. Make it interesting. Singing is a a great thing that many children enjoy. Telling stories. I heard someone encourage, I'm not sure where or when, but he said, get down on the floor and demonstrate some things. It's okay. And you know it is. We're not acting, but we can show them this is what it might have looked like. These are, these are things. And just last week I was inspired to read, bring a, the happening there of the 
Philistines capturing the ark in Samuel. And what happened to that? What happened when the Philistines took the ark back to their home? And I think our children might know. Maybe even Anson and Amber at three years old. But when you say, here, they put the ark and the idol fell over on its face. They see that. They think about that. They realize that this isn't just words. And, and you know, we're in the, we have young children and maturing children, and there's a lot of different scopes of need. But be aware of current events as well and ideas that are in our, our society and, and around and see what the Scripture has to say about it. Take everyday things. And I'm, I'm being using personal illustrations because that's what I know. But the other week, we were at home on a Sunday morning because it snowed, right? So we looked at snow. And we sang songs that talked about snow. Just something that the Scripture talks about. Making it relevant here. It takes effort. It takes effort to prepare, whether it's mentally to give up that time, or really it's actually to invest the time. But you know, it's also a great way that, that young men as fathers can develop a skill of teaching. Um, if, you, if you can't teach your family, then you're going to be fairly inapt to teach the naysayer. And I'm not saying I have attained here. But as we think about it, that's another benefit. It's another, another part. You know, I, I believe that as, as we have a commitment to a time of, of worship and instruction here in, in a family way, there's a basic fundamental teaching that can go far beyond anything we can say. And that's demonstrating what we're trying to do. Because as we take a few minutes every day, if possible, and put there for our family, is that not part of what it means to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might? Verse 8 of Deuteronomy 6 says, Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thy eyes. I don't know, it's bad where my mind goes, I guess, but I see smartwatches and smartphones all over that in the negative sense. What are you binding upon your hand? And what are you putting as a frontlet between your eye, eyes? I think we need to think carefully about the message that is being preached to our children by what we do. How often are we checking these devices that are constantly bombarding us with notifications and desire for attention? 
I have neither smartphone nor smartwatch, so forgive me. But I still know how a computer or anything can take my focus away. I don't believe that we need tattoos on our hands or phylacteries hanging around us that we can can bind these things on our hands and keep them between our eyes, but I believe that what we value and care about will definitely come through to our children. I'd like to look yet at what I believe is what I'm calling the cause. The cause here, going up to verse 2 and 3 of Deuteronomy 6, says that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God and keep all his statutes and all his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. If we love the Lord, we will want to instill that same love and, and reverence for the, for the Lord in our children. That thou mightest fear the Lord. I don't know, but that phrase there in verse 3 says, that ye may increase mightily. We don't desire just to have big families and big estates. But do we desire a godly, a godly offspring that will carry that message of the gospel, that will make an impact, that will be a city set on a hill? Psalm 78, verses 2 and through 4 say, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which he hath made, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. Another verse in Joel, chapter 1, verse 3, says, Tell it, tell ye your children of it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. How many people can you impact in your, let's say, 80 years? I don't have a number, but think about the people you know, especially as you get up to adulthood, the people that you can actually have an impact on in, in your, by, your, by your life and by your words. It's a lot of people. And then you're in the ground bodily. You got here to the cemetery. How many of those people do you know anything about? I was helping to mow the cemetery sometime this year and I past year and I said everybody needs to do that at least a couple times a year to help you realize how futile futile how fleeting life is but now what is Joel 1 verse 3 does that change that picture at all 
Teach them to your children and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. How many people did you just impact in that verse? There's four generations there. And maybe more depending on how you want to look at it. But there's people out there that you know nothing of. They've been dead and gone a long time. But you may know some of their children and their testimony, their words, their life is a blessing to you yet today. Psalm 127 verse 4 says, As errors are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. What does an arrow do? It is sent out by an archer to accomplish something they couldn't do here. And what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to whet them and sharpen them. Some people talk a lot these days about a legacy. And I'm going to say that what we can do to teach our children to love the Lord is a legacy that no one can take away from us. Again, this cause, jumping down to verses 13 to 15 of Deuteronomy 6, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. Ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Quickly, I'd like to reference a story that I heard this week. I heard the story, took a few notes in my head and on paper, and actually I, I didn't know if I'd use it or not, but I actually Wikipedia is where it is the article that I'm going to read and then draw one other comment that was not included there. But I'm going to reference here was uh, a place that, uh, called Jacobs Creek in Pennsylvania, west of Pittsburgh. How many of you have heard of a man named Abraham Overholt? I didn't know of him either. But he, it says here, I'll just read what it says. Henry Oberholzer, a German Mennonite farmer, moved to West Overton, Pennsylvania, on the banks of Jacobs Creek in 1800. His family came from an area of Germany which specialized in distilling corn or rye whiskey. And Henry took up the same tradition. His son Abraham, in 1810, took over the business. The management of the distillery made it into a business. By the 1820s, it was putting out 12 to 15 gallons of rye whiskey per day. Abraham grew the company rapidly. And by 1859, the business had a new distillery building six stories high, 100 feet long, and could produce 860 gallons per day. What was the uh, religious affiliation of this man? He was a Mennonite, by the way. His dad was, started the business. Moving down through history, the, they developed a mass. But this business was huge. And I don't know when, and I don't have the documentation, but I was told that there was there's a record of someone in the community saying they're about probably this late 1800s, 
that they, these Mennonites, are good at building fabulous houses and building big businesses, but they are poor at building boys. Today, there's a cemetery and lots of Mennonite street names. No church. I don't think they just moved away either. In one of the classes at Ministers Week, we looked at retention rates. Just looking at the overall picture of the, of the Mennonite church. I don't know if you can see this very good at all. The blue represents a faithful person. Faithful to teaching. The red indicates someone who has left that. So here you have a faithful husband and wife, and they have four children. One turns his back on his teaching. Well, one out of four isn't too bad. The other three are faithful. But down here, each of these have one child that walks away. And that's referenced here. And in three generations, assuming one out of four children leave, there are 45 reds and 39 blues. We don't decide our children's eternal destiny, but we have an impact on it. If we succeed at every other aspect of life and fail at this, how sad. We are the product of faithful men and women of the past. And I just want to encourage each of you, not all of your parents, but you each play a role in passing on a love for the Lord. And as families, as fathers, young fathers especially, I want to encourage you and challenge you with myself to take this seriously. Let's kneel for prayer. Father, we come in the name of Jesus. We are thankful for this opportunity to gather here. We are thankful for the scripture that instructs us, that encourages us, that warns us. The fathers, we realize our frailty. We also realize your power and your love. And you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ. Father, I thank you for those in the past that have lived faithful lives, that have loved you with all their heart and soul and might, and that they have endeavored to teach and train those coming after them, and that we here today are beneficiaries of that. So Father, I just pray that you would take these words by your Spirit and encourage your church Encourage this congregation not to focus on the have-tos, but to focus on loving 
and letting that permeate and pervade all we think and say and do. That we can be a faithful people, a faithful congregation, a faithful witness in this world in which we live. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.